Dale, did you want to say something? There was something that you... On the way to church, uh, I got a call from a individual in Louisiana over close to Alexandria that we grew up with and was actually uh, in the middle of this tornado that y'all saw on the news. I guess it was, what, December the 16th or something like that. And uh, his name's Dewey Kaufman, and uh, I actually taught Dewey in, uh, in school when I was an old ag teacher. That kind of dates me, I guess. But nevertheless, Dewey had a uh, business right on Highway 28, right, in, right outside of Alexandria, probably about 300 yards from Hope Baptist Church. And I saw, I think you saw it on the news, Hope Baptist Church had a little uh, daycare center or school right adjacent to the church. And the minister there saw the news and uh, had 28 kids in the in the little church, in the little school, he and the principal of the school got the kids out of the uh, school, took them to the auditorium and put them under the pews, and literally 10 seconds later, the little school disappeared, literally, nothing left but the slab. This guy I'm talking to, he rode out the tornado, which he's estimated lasted six seconds, in a tow truck at his business had a big business, a nice big building, had probably 30 cars there. And he said he just tossed these cars just like they were Tinker Toys. There was a motor, uh, mobile home manufacturing facility about a half a mile down the road, and it took one double-wide mobile home from that facility and dumped it on top of his building, he said, just like it was nothing. And so I asked him, I said, Dewey, what uh, did you come away from that with? He said, I, uh, an impression of how God still answers prayer. Amen. Because he said, literally, Dale, he said, this thing came and went before I even knew it was there. And he said, it blew out the right-hand side of the truck window, splattered glass everywhere. And he said, I got down in the seat, and he just said, I started hollering, Jesus, Jesus, please help me, Jesus, please help me, and it was gone. Cool. That's Thank it. You. Thank you. Let's all pray, and we'll go home, right? <laughs> well, I do pray. Thank you, Dale. Thank you. What a, what a, yeah, God does answer prayer. He does hear our prayers, and it's interesting to see how he does work. I pray that you had a wonderful holiday season, and welcome to the new year, 2020 pretty exciting uh, type of time. We are in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 contains one of the more significant principles, I think, of spiritual growth. And it has to do not only with the attitude of your heart, which obviously is no great surprise of having it to do with the attitude of your heart, but it also surrounds a uh, principle of spiritual perceptiveness or spiritual insight, understanding. It's law of either spiritual apathy or spiritual growth. Spiritual apathy or spiritual growth. The basic principle that's going to come out in the first parable that we're going to look at is use it or lose it. Pretty simple principle 
use it or lose it. In other words, as long as you have the, and are open to receive and apply spiritual truth into your life, God will give it more and more and as fast as you can take it. On the other hand, if you are caught away with other types of things, the passage teaches that even what you have will diminish, will diminish. Spiritual apathy and tough teaching, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the third block of teaching by Jesus in the book of Matthew. Let me just kind of give you a brief review. Matthew is writing to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and the promised promised, uh, king. Matthew began in chapter 1, if you remember, with proof that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the promised king. Then in, we saw the first block of teaching in the, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which was the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And people of the kingdom were to live a distinctively different type of lifestyle from the inside out. He then authenticates the message in the messenger in chapters 8 and 9, where we saw that. And then in chapter 10 was the second block of teaching, which is called really the mission discourse, where Jesus sends his disciples out and basically says, take nothing, depend upon me. Then it became apparent that the Jews were becoming increasingly resistant to these evidences. And Jesus then pronounces judgment upon the the cities where he had done most of his miracles in Matthew chapter 11. And primarily what we looked at is a couple of the reasons that the Jews were rejecting Jesus was due to their selfish indifference and religious pride that they had. And then chapter 12 looked at the religious pride of that nation, of the Pharisees specifically, and looked that they were really concerned more with the rules than they were with following Jesus. Jesus at the end of chapter 12 then says, you know, followers will truly do the will of the Father. And he makes the invitation now to the individual, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. With that background then, we come to chapter 13. In chapter 13, really then, as Jesus begins to say, hey, the kingdom now is going to be postponed for a period of time. The question then becomes is, well, what is this going to look like? Now, let me be clear. The concept of the kingdom being understood as being postponed is really postponement from a human perspective, not from a divine perspective. God had that planned. However, we are still responsible for our reactions in that, in that God knew what was going to happen. And Jesus now begins to talk in parables. And parables were really designed to reveal truth to some and hide truth from others. I really see it as an act of God's grace, an act of God's grace, as he really begins to graciously teach those who were receptive to the truth and begins to talk to them, but also protect those who were resilient to the truth. In Matthew chapter 13, there's eight parables which talk primarily about the mystery of the kingdom and the discourse is in a chiastic structure. If you have the notes in front of you, you'll notice that chiastic structure that is there. And one of the things that I want you to notice about the chiastic structure that really impacted me was just the symmetry of what was going on. 
And the symmetry is so gorgeous in this chapter. It ties the chapters so much together that you sit there and you go, this has got to be the word of God. This is, this is the word of God. It's so symmetrical and so gorgeous in the way that it was put together. You sit there and you go, no human's going to be able to pull this off. And you realize that only the Holy Spirit is going to be able to, to weave this beauty into what's, what's happening. Uh, the first four parables are to the multitudes. The last four are to the disciples. In the group, the first parable stands out. And in the last group, the last parable sets out. The first parable really sets the stage. The first parable sets the stage for everything else that's going to happen in the chapter. If your heart is right, then more will be revealed. And that's really where we are going to spend most of our time. I will flip to the last parable at, at the end, but you'll be able to, and hopefully be able to pull this chapter together because I think that there is really one great big piece. But the first parable really sets out the whole standard for everything else that's going to follow in Jesus' teaching. So if you have, have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and let me just read the introduction in verses 1 and 2. That day, Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea, and a large group gathered, crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Now, you'll notice that right off the bat, if you'd read the whole chapter, that right off the bat, that this parable does not have that formula that contains in all the, either, the latter ones, the rest of the parables, which is the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable does not have that the kingdom of heaven is like. The rest of them do. This one does not, because this one really sets kind of the stage for everything else that's going to happen. Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, gets into a boat, and he drifts out a little bit, little bit from the shore and speaks up. Now, if you're on the northern shore, there's a couple of places there on the northern shore where there is kind of a natural amphitheater. And for Jesus to be able to just kind of drift out and be able to speak up on this amphitheater, a lot of people could be gathered up there. And Jesus was there to uh, talk about it. And in fact, they've done, I think, some studies on acoustics and realized that yeah, just a couple of feet out from the, the shore, the acoustics are so great in that area that a lot of people would have been able to hear him. And that's exactly what happens. And Jesus now begins to talk in parables. And he spoke many things in verse 3, many things to them in parables. A device that God is using to reveal truth to some, hide truth from others. But I think, as I said, once again, really an act of grace on God's part of revealing those truths and saving those individuals that have really rejected it from that guilt of knowing because they didn't really know exactly what they were hearing. Verse 3, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the side of the road. The birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns. The thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded the crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's, first off, there's the one who has no root. We're going to come back to these because Jesus does explain this parable. 
to be able to bring his disciples into the loop as to what was going on. Those that have no root, there are those that are rocky, those that are thorny, and then there is the good soil. And the main point that he is making here is that the condition of the soil, the condition of the soil determines the potential for growth. Condition of the soil determines the potential for growth. Now, the parable has to do with the heart and receptivity or receptivity to the truth. So the more your heart is receptive to the truth, the more growth. The disciples asked, and we're going to come back to this, the disciples asked, Verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Well, Jesus says to the youth who have been known the mysteries of the kingdom. Now look at verse 12, because this really is the zinger. In Mark, it is a zinger at the end. Here it's in the middle. Verse 12, whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Whoa. Now that's a zinger. Now we're going to come back to that zinger. But that's a zinger. That is this, the, the principle of either spiritual apathy or spiritual growth. In other words, the more you are receptive to the truth which is what the parable is, is teaching, the more that you are receptive to the truth, the more will be given. In other words, I will give you, I will feed you spiritual perceptiveness, spiritual insight, spiritual growth, just as fast as you can take it. On the other hand, on the other hand, if there is not a receptivity to the truth, and if you are blocking that, conduit, so to speak. Even what you have, that spiritual perceptiveness, that spiritual growth, will begin to diminish. Whoa. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What? You mean that over a period of time, if I am not continually receiving that truth and applying it to my life, that there will become a diminished sense of perception, of spiritual receptivity, of spiritual understanding, of spiritual growth? Yeah. Now, Jesus has said that to other places and other times, hasn't he? Remember, what was the other time where he, he did it in another, another way? Remember the parable of the talents? And we're going to see that in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. He who has, you know, the more I'm going to give. He who doesn't have, I'm going to take it away. Well, now it's going into spiritual receptivity and spiritual insight and spiritual growth. Yeah, Howard? Quickly. Quickly because we have a, we have a, lot, of, a lot of things to go on here. Uh, go ahead. Never mind. No, go ahead. But do you think that's talking to just the uh, Christians or, or the lost or both? Hang in there. 
Hang in there. Great question. Great question. Yeah. I think it's talking to believers. Yep. To answer your question really succinctly, I think it's talking to us. Now, let's go into verses 18 through 23 because now he begins to explain it and this is where you're going to be able to get involved. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, an evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown by the road. All right, so now he's beginning to give an explanation of the parable. And in the first part of this parable, he talks about the one who has no root. All right. I call this person the, the one who has the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Who, in this explanation, who's the enemy in this? Who's the enemy? Satan, right. The evil one. It basically identifies, all right, Satan's the one. All right. What does this person look like? What does this person look like? Speak to me. Yeah. What does he look like? All right. Okay. Person who thinks they know it all. What else? Looks like any one of you. All right. At some particular time, probably, where you begin to shake your fist at God, uh, you know, and say that I know better than, than, than God. Is the, the one who is hostile, the one who has really an indifference in their attitude towards God. Uh, there's no interest in God in some respects. There's their presuppositions or their worldview or their distortions or prejudices against Christianity. Um, they have hardened themselves from the truth. And they've put a barrier there that says, I am not going to allow that truth to enter into my life. There's a, there's a barrier. There's a wall. They're more interested really in the debate aspect than, than discussion or interest in the spiritual truth or anything being able to enter into their life. There's almost like a barrier. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's just an intellectual ascent to win arguments. Yeah. And you can, <clears throat> you can usually tell pretty quickly that individual who, through their indifference, uh, their attitude, their posture, their response, their lack of interaction, just kind of, all right, there is a barrier here that cannot be penetrated, most likely due to some sort of evil, evil influence. Now, really at that point, you know, any type of argument that you would place before them is, is you know, they're going to jump on it because they're not really interested in the truth. They're really more interested in debate than they are. And so really at that point, the most, the most beneficial thing that you can do for them is pray for them. Is pray for them. 
All right, we've got a second person here, though. This is verse 16 and 17, and this one, I think, is more the impulsive heart. Um, yeah, uh, not 16 and 17. Uh, ne next one. This is the one I see. Uh, verse 20. The one whom I'm seen was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. All right, this is the one who is impulsive. Who's the enemy here? We saw the first the enemy was Satan. Who's the enemy here? Well, that was the first one. Uh, sure, yeah, with underlying. Who, who's primarily one? Self. Self, all right. Flesh. Self, me, the flesh really is the, the one who's the enemy of the impulsive heart. What's this person look like? You're laughing. Once again, it looks like all of them. Okay. All right, how? Yeah, go ahead. They're the ones that say, I'm strong in my faith, okay. which basically means I've decided what I believe and you can't change it. All right. I, 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 me, me, me. Mm -hmm. I always like those sentences that start with I, 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 me, 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 because you can really begin to start to understand where their focus is. I like to do this. I like to do that. Uh, this is the way that I prefer to do it. I always enjoyed uh, uh, when I was teaching at the seminary, uh, one of the classes that I taught was uh, the class in, in evangelism. And I always got a kick out of teaching evangelism. Evangelism was one of those classes where everybody already knows the answer. You know? And, and with evangelism, it always started off with, this is the way that I like to do it. This is the way that I prefer to do evangelism. This is the way that I like it. And, you know, typically what you'd hear is I, 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 me, me, me. And, you know, the answer, you know, I, I, what I was thinking when I was hearing this, and I wouldn't say this to the students, I'll tell you what I was thinking. What I was thinking when I was hearing that is that, isn't that selfish? Because, see, evangelism is not about you. Not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. But we always start off all those sentences with I, 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 and me, me, me. This is the way I like to do it. This is the way I prefer to do it. This is the way I like to, to, to you know, to, to do it. You know, and you go, whoa, whoa, what is that? It's called the flesh. It's called thing. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the, these are the people who think God is Build-A-Bear. They're going to pick and choose the things that they want to be in their God and, and say, you know, I could never believe in a God that did this or did that, and so therefore the God has to be, you know, this list of characteristics that I want him to have. Yeah, and all of a sudden we begin to make God in our own image rather than who God really is and comes from a faulty point of who of God, really, at that point, because now we think we know better than God. 
we think we've got it all better than, than what's going on. Yes, ma'am. Because when it says they receive it with great joy, could this be people who receive the word with great joy and never get into the word to grow and mature? And then trials come and they don't have the foundation they need to stay? Just a question. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and they get caught up, as it says, they get caught up with the things of, of the world. The world becomes very attractive. So the, that's what's going on. Now, one warning here with this is that there's been a lot of interpreters that will take this, this parable and try to say who's a believer and who's not. Jesus, I don't think, has that in view with this parable. He's not trying to make a differentiation between a believer or an unbeliever. He's talking about receptivity of the heart and receptivity of the heart to the truth. And so he's talking on that level, not so much as to what, who's a believer and who isn't a believer. And so, talking about the attitude of your heart. Is your heart going to be receptive to the truth? And here with this one, the impulsive heart, I think it's that person who has that good intentions, the good intentions to move on, but things of the world begin to crowd in a thing and, and they become distracted, you know, based upon whatever emotions or whatever feels good at that moment. And self becomes the primary focus rather than following God or following the Lord or following the word. And so now they become more focused on themselves than the other. All right, here's another one. We've got the, the preoccupied heart, verse 22. And the one on whom the seed was sown with the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. All right. Well, so now we got the preoccupied world. We had Satan, that was the first, first one. Self really becomes the second enemy. Who's the enemy of the third one? The world. Yeah, the world. All right. What does this person look like? Michael. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, there's a point here where, yeah, how receptive are we to the truth? The individual becomes more concerned with things of the world than with the things of God. Their desire is for the wrong things, personal comfort at that point overrides obedience and their desire for those other things begin to choke out, choke out the truth. And they become preoccupied with something else so that it's choked out and they can't act upon it. Well, how does that happen? You know, I don't know about you, but weeds tend to grow pretty freely in my yard. I don't need much effort to try to grow weeds. For some reason, those weeds immediately grow up relatively easy. They seem to do it fairly naturally. And there's a lot of things in the world that 
spring up pretty naturally in the flesh that wants to choke out the truth of the word. The lure for the larger house, the lure for this, the lure for that, the lure for that, the, trying to keep up with the, the, what the world's perceptiveness is. Now that small voice, I was um, thinking is uh, over Christmas, uh, a lot of things were happening. And one of the vo- verses that comes back to me periodically is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where, he, uh, where Paul keeps calling us back to the, you know, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We have this tendency to try to create a bunch of junk out there that tries to draw us away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And that just kind of happens naturally with all the distractions that are out there that we can be, you know, squirrel. (laughs) And needing to be drawn back, drawn back to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But Jesus realizes that and points that out and says, hey, there's that impulsiveness that all of a sudden we go, I need that. That will make life better. And we start looking for life in other places rather than life being found in Jesus Christ. Life is not going to be found in the next class. Life isn't going to be found in the, in the next thing that we purchase. Life isn't going to be found in the next, next. Life is found in Jesus Christ. And that simplicity and purity of being devoted to him and him alone, that's really where life is going to be found. In food. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. And oftentimes we sit there because of our impulsiveness say, no, I don't believe that. I think life is going to be found over here. Rather than found in Jesus Christ. But then we have the responsive heart. Verses, verse 20. Verse 20. No. Yeah. And the one to whom, verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil... This is the man who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the one who is responsive, who is eagerly awaiting the truth. Now, what does this person look like? (laughs) Yeah. It's the one whom there is a responsiveness to listen. Now, the receptiveness of the soil has to do with spiritual growth. The more open that you are to the good soil and receptiveness to the truth, the more that you're going to be able to grow. If someone isn't really ready to listen, they aren't going to hear what you're going to say. Teachers know that. 
You know, parents know that. We, we see that all the time. If their heart isn't really open to hearing what the Lord wants to say, they, they, aren't going to, they aren't going to listen. And that's where Jesus is going. How receptive, how open is your heart to the truth? Are you truly open to allowing God to change and to interject truth into your life? Or are you non-receptive? Now, you got to go back to verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have in an abundance. In other words, the receptivity of the soil, if you are truly receptive to what's going on, he will have an abundance. It will come 100 times forward. It will come as fast as you're going to be able to take it. On the other hand, verse 12, but whoever does not have, in other words, in other words, whoever is not allowing that to happen, even what he has shall be taken away from him. In other words, you're going to be so caught away that even what you have will begin to diminish. Your spiritual receptiveness, your spiritual perceptiveness, your spiritual insight is going to begin to diminish. Whoa. Whoa. Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Now, I've seen that happen in my life with, you know, languages. You know, how many times have we learned a particular language or something? And if you don't keep up with that language... If you don't keep up with what's going on, what happens? Or you learn a particular skill. You have a particular skill, and if you don't use that particular skill on a, on a repetitive basis, on a regular time, what happens? There was one time, and I've, I've told this story before, there was a time where Patty and I were doing a conference out in, out in uh, the West Texas, and... Uh, it was called Prude Ranch, is where it was. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's high in the in the out. You can see out in the stars. Beautiful, uh, beautiful skyline. We were walking back from doing a conference, and we were walking back, and the sky was just lit up with a with a bunch of stars. Now, I was a navigator in the Air Force. I made my living by knowing where the stars were. We were doing celestial navigation, and so. And at the time, when I was in the Air Force as a navigator doing that, I was pretty good at it. I could tell. Walking back, I looked up there. I didn't recognize a dang thing. You know, I was sitting there going, okay, let me start back with where's the North Star, you know? And, you know, and, and trying to work back from there. But I realized... Use it or lose it. The more that you are open to receive the truth of God's word and apply it into your life, the more he will give to you in abundance. He will keep feeding it to you quick as you are able to take it. 
and as quick as you are able to accept it. As soon as you start getting distracted from the world, distracted by this, shaking your fist at God, putting up that barrier, the more then your spiritual insight and your perceptiveness begin to diminish. Why? Because you're preoccupied with other stuff and the stuff that you had begins to diminish. Well, Jesus then begins to give three more parables to the crowd. I want to point out verse 34 in this, in this uh, uh, chiastic structure that you have. It says, all things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables. He did not speak to them without a parable. And that's the main point of what's going on here. In fact, in that, parables is actually a small chiastic structure in itself in that sentence. The, par- the verse really reads... Jesus spoke all things in parables, and without parables, he did not speak to them. And so you can really see that parables become the the whole thing. Jesus has now begun to speak to them in parables. The parable of the tares really says that, hey, in the monks of all of this stuff that goes on of people with the hardened heart, God's kingdom will continue to grow. He then switches over to the disciples and basically says to the disciples, the kingdom is of heaven is something to be highly valued in the, in the parables that he's giving to his disciples. And so he says, we are going to continue to grow even in the midst of all of this stuff. The kingdom will continue to grow. And to the disciples, it is something to be highly valued to you. But then the last one, the last parable, kind of brings us all around. In verse 57, notice what it says, or 52, I'm sorry. 52, Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out his treasure things, new and old. Now, don't miss that. A lot of commentators will skip over that and not really even recognize it as a parable. But Jesus is making a comparison here between the scribes and then the head of the household is bringing things out new and old. And what happens with, with what this is, is happening is the scribe seems to be the one who has received instruction. So he's saying in verse 52 there, to his disciples, therefore every scribe, that individual who has received instruction and now goes to the storeroom of his own heart, of his own heart of understanding, and brings it out, his treasure things, new and old. In other words, what he's saying to his disciples and what he's saying to you and to me and to all of us is that now that you have received these things, you have a responsibility to be able to communicate it. You have a responsibility to be able to communicate. That not only is the kingdom of heaven going to be like this, And not only is the kingdom of heaven going to be something that's highly valued, but now, just as the scribe with the head of the household brings out things new and old, those things that you have heard, those things that you have received, you have the responsibility to be able to communicate it. And it just ties the front and the back of the whole chapter together of all of those eight parables coming together into one one beautiful, beautiful unit. So what does he say? What does he say? 
Those who receive truth and act upon it will be given more truth to continue to grow. Those who receive truth and act upon it will be given more truth to continue to grow. If you want to grow, you need to use what God has given to you. And you need to be receptive to what God has revealed to you. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. It's not like you're either standing on the fence. You're either moving forward or you're moving back. Forward or back. No middle ground. You're either growing in perception and insight or you're diminishing in perception and insight. No middle ground. And the question then becomes is, are you applying God's truth to your life? Or have you been lured away by some of those distractions? How receptive is your heart to the truth? How receptive is your heart to the truth? That's where it gets down to. That's where you, all of us need to do some real soul searching. Where have I blocked it? Where have I blocked it? Have I blocked it in my own intellectualism? Have I blocked it in a lack of knowledge of God, as was brought out before? Not really knowing God, and so I make God in my own image? Or have I blocked it because I don't really want to hear it? Where I say, no, I don't really want to be dependent upon God because America teaches me to be independent that I need to do it in my, myself. I need to be, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You know, I need to do it independently. That's the American way versus being dependent upon God and trusting in him. Let me have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the reality of this passage, what it's really teaching of the receptivity of our heart and Father, I pray that we would be receptive to the truth, that we would allow your truth to penetrate our life, that the Holy Spirit would do his work of convicting and revealing and just convicting us of the truth and bringing us to, to a place of submission and dependence upon you. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in our life where maybe we've gotten out of balance, where we begin to pursue the wrong things. We begin to think the life is found in other places rather than found in you. Father, may we become ones that want to follow you wholeheartedly with good soil, soil that is really receptive to the truth, that it can take root and grow and multiply a hundredfold, thousandfold, of good fruit for you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your word. We just submit ourselves, we submit our families, we submit our ministries into your care. Pray all of these things in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said,
Amen. See you next week.